good morning, Forest Park Church. I'm so excited that you're here and joining us this morning for our online service. Uh, my name is Preston Waller. I'm the student pastor here at Forest Park Church. For those of you who may be new and don't know, um, I have the pleasure and the honor of bringing our last week of our sanctuary series today. Uh, we've been through so much in this month of January when we talk about creating a sanctuary in our lives. Uh, week one and two, me and Evan talked on the importance of prayer and how do we do it. And then the last two weeks, Scott's talked about worship and how we see worship is not something we just do on Sunday morning, but an everyday part of our lives. Every moment of our lives is a worship moment. And then today, I have the great honor of being able to end the series talking about repentance and confession. And I know you may hear those words and you may think, oh, this is not going to be one of those happy, feel-good messages, is it? But I promise you, it's not going to be as bad as you think. And when you hear that word confession, I think we think negative things typically, don't we? What comes to your mind when you hear the word confession? Is it, uh, you know, what we used to do in grade school when we would confess secrets to our best friends about boys we liked or girls we liked? Or is it uh, what you think about when you think about what the Catholics do with confession? Or maybe even for some of you, you go to the, the courtroom and you think about integration, someone standing on trial and being integrated and having to confess their wrongdoings. Any people like A Few Good Men, I mean, that movie, the big scene, right? Caffey's uh, saying to the colonel, I want the truth, and he's responding back, you can't handle the truth, right? Big courtroom scenes that we love when we, someone finally confesses. But here's what I know. Regardless of what you think about when you think about confession, here's what we're going to talk about today. Confession and repentance is the key to unlocking peace in your life and my life. And I'm going to talk about how that's true today. So with that being said, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, what I've seen from bookend to bookend with the Bible is that repentance and confession is a common theme. It's not just something we see here or there or randomly in the New Testament, but it's something that we see all throughout Scripture. You think about confession in the Garden of Eden. God came to find Adam and Eve when they were hiding to have them do what? confess what had happened. He knew something that went wrong. They had to confess. You think about even the prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, what was their major common theme that they preached to people? It was repent. You think about Jonah when he finally got his head together and finally got his life together and finally was going to Nineveh. What was the message God gave him to give to the people? Tell them to repent and turn from their sins. And then you think about John the Baptist in the New Testament, for example. He came out of the wilderness and in the wilderness he was preaching what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, so repentance is a key theme, and confession is a key theme throughout the Bible. There is one verse, though, in Second Chronicles 7, 14 that I'm going to read for you, but it, it's something that God constantly came back to his people, especially in the Old Testament, and he repeated it verbatim all the time, either through him or through prophets. And it speaks to this idea of confession and repentance. This is what Second Chronicles 7, 14 says. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So anytime the, the Israelites, the people of Israel would go and do something wrong, God would come back to them and say, if you just repent, if you just turn away and you, you come to me and pray and seek me and humble yourselves, I will forgive you and heal your land. And he would always come back and tell them that. Um, so we see that that's a key theme God put in the lives of his people as well. Something they didn't only do once, but something they did consistently. So the question is, Preston, you're probably thinking, what is confession? What is repentance? You talk a lot about it right now, but what does it really mean? What is it really? 
I'm glad you asked because I have a definition of confession really quickly I want to give to you. So let's talk about confession right now. What is confession? Confession simply is the willingness to proclaim what one has done to fail God. And what we've done to fail God, the confession is admitting that we failed God. When you look, if you go and look at Daniel chapter 9, uh, it shows a beautiful picture of what you can see confession looking like. Uh, Daniel was a prophet, as you many of you know, in the time of Nebuchadnezzar. And after that whole story had unfolded, uh, he basically was, had a vision sent to him from God in Daniel chapter 8. And it was about the end times. It was very weird. It didn't make any sense. So he was like, I don't know what this is about. But then the angel Gabriel came down and explained it to him. But he was still scared. Basically, Daniel was fearful that the end times were coming tomorrow <laughs> and that his whole life was about to end. So what did he do in response to that? Well, in Daniel chapter 9, uh, the beginning of that chapter, he gets down on his knees and he starts praying to God and he confesses. He confesses, he says, God, we as a people have sinned. Notice he used that pronoun we. He was not only saying, God, I have sinned as a human being, but we as Israel, we have sinned. We've been taken into captivity by the Babylonians. You're punishing us. It's obvious we've sinned and turned our face from you. Would you please heal us? Would you please come back and help us? So this whole idea of confession is simply, will you get down and admit that you've sinned and you failed God? And honestly, but confession isn't just the whole picture. It's just one part of the process. Uh, when we think about confession and repentance, they go so hand in hand because it's not just one thing to say, yeah, I, I'm doing something wrong or God, I messed up. If you just stop there, that doesn't really change anything. So that's why confession and repentance go hand in hand. So confession is admitting what we've done to wrong God or fail God. What is repentance? So I have two definitions of repentance. It's kind of a half and a half because without the other, I don't think it truly shows you the real picture of what it is. So here's the first picture of repentance. It is repentance is the willingness to feel remorse for what one has done to fail God. So the first one was the willingness to admit that we failed God. Repentance is more about the willingness to feel remorse over failing God. I want to go through Psalm chapter 51 with you really quick. The first half will show you the first part of repentance. The second half will show you the second. This is a psalm from David. Let me read to you just quickly verses 1 through 6 in Psalm 51. It says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So what you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in my sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. This is a psalm that was written right after the whole uh, David and Bathsheba incident. For those of you who don't know, David was a great king, but he also made mistakes. He slept with another man's wife and got her pregnant. And this, he, he felt no remorse over that sin for the longest time until a prophet named Nathan came and called him out and said, dude, you've messed up. You've sinned against God. God is angry with you. Then he starts to feel remorse. And as I read those verses, could you not hear the remorse in David's words, right? The, the remorse of saying, God, I have failed you for my transgressions and my sins are ever before me. He said, I was even born out of sin. I am a sinner from birth. And you hear this kind of aching in his bones over what he has done. So repentance is feeling remorse is somewhat 
uh, something we can do or not do, isn't it, right? Because you can do something wrong, you can admit you've done something wrong, but you don't necessarily have to feel remorse over it. And even more than that, we oftentimes can fake remorse. Parents, you ever seen your child, you caught them in the act of doing something and they, you've asked them, what have you done? They say, yeah, I took the car out last night. I went out past midnight. Um, I'm sorry, mom. I know I shouldn't have done that. And then they go back and do it again. Or have you ever been in a friendship or relationship with someone where they wronged you? They talked bad about you. They stabbed you in the back. They hurt your feelings, maybe even cheated on you if you're in a relationship and you catch them and they admit, yeah, I cheated on you. Yeah, I said those things about you. What was wrong with me? I'm so sorry. Uh, I shouldn't have done that as, my, as you, my girlfriend, or you as my friend. <laughs> and then they do it again, right? Remorse can be faked. So that's why I put repentance into two definitions, because yes, one part of repentance is feeling remorse over your sin and failing God. But more than that, here's the other part. Repentance is to change your mind on a subject and embrace God's attitude instead. Look at what David says in the rest of Psalm chapter 51, 7 through 11. He says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create within me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. So he's coming into God and he's saying the first part, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I messed up. I'm so remorseful over it. But then the second half is God, create within me a new attitude, a new heart, a new spirit that doesn't want those things, that wants a new life, that wants a new way, that wants a new attitude. So it, it, again, it's not just enough to say, God, I messed up. God, I, I feel bad about it. It's another thing to turn away from those things and pursue a new life. What we can't fake is a new lifestyle right? If you've been dealing with this addiction, what you can't fake is true repentance looking like not struggling with that addiction. So when we really turn from our sin and face God and pursue him instead, those things can't be faked. You're truly pursuing them. You're truly following after them. And people see that and people acknowledge it and people know that there's been a change in your life. And that's the whole picture of confession and repentance. It's I'm walking down a path that isn't right. I stop, acknowledge this path isn't right. I feel bad about being on that path. And then I turn around and seek to be with God instead and pursue a new way, a new path. That's what confession and repentance looks like as a full picture. But the question remains, Preston, how do I repent? So you may be wondering, that's great, Preston, but what, what can I do to make this a part of my life? What can I do to make confession and repentance something that I actually know how to do and not just something that you hypothetically talk about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, because I have an acronym that's called HACKS, H-A-C-K-S. It means nothing, but I, I created it so that you can remember it a little bit better. And it's five steps on how we can repent and make repentance a part of our daily lives. So the H in HACKS stands for honesty. You need to be honest with your need for repentance. Uh, I want to go through really quickly Psalm 32. And as you'll see, each kind of verse in Psalm 32 will talk about each point with the acronym HACKS. So Psalm 32 again is written by the King David and verses one through two, he says this, uh, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Uh, many self-help programs, if you've ever been in them or if you've ever known someone to be in them or a recovery program, uh, the first step in recovery is what? Admitting you have a problem. 
admitting that there's a problem in your life that you need help with. And in the same way with repentance, it starts out the same way. You have to be honest with yourself and admit that you need forgiveness, that you need to repent, that your sins need to be confessed to God. That's where we have to start. But we oftentimes see repentance as a one-time act. Well, I only need to repent so that I can be saved, right? You repent of your sins so Jesus can become Lord of your life. And so once I do it once, I don't need to do it again. I grew up uh, not ever going to church, but when I became a Christian at the age of 16, I had a lot of friends and a lot of adults in my life say this phrase. Maybe you've heard it or maybe you've even said it. Uh, They had the phrase, um, we would be doing something and I would be hesitant to do something with them that I knew was wrong. And they would say, Preston, God's going to forgive you anyway. Go ahead and do it. Right? God's a loving God. He'll forgive you. Go ahead and let's just do it, man. He'll forgive you for it anyway later. That attitude, that phrase encompasses an attitude of selfish ambition, of a selfish life. See, when we understand that we repent as Christians and confess our sins as Christians throughout our life, not just one time, we confess one time to be saved, but we confess the rest of our life to restore the relationship with God that we break when we sin. So when we sin, every time we're putting distance between us and God when we sin every day. So when we confess and repent, we're coming closer to God. We're coming closer back to him to restore that relationship, to keep it healthy. So we have to be honest with ourselves about our need to confess and repent. And not just one time, but throughout our lives. Number two is A. A stands for acknowledge the danger of sin and damage of guilt. So I want to read Psalm 32, 3-4 right now. It says, Uh, For when I keep silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. So what we see in these two verses is that uh, David is acknowledging his sin, but he's also having physical issues because he hasn't confessed his sin. He's holding on to these sins. He's holding on to these struggles, and his bones begin to ache. He begins to have trouble sleeping at night. And so he's having this uh, kind of aching this kind of physical exhaustion from keeping things to himself. Have you ever (laughs) been around a person who kind of will tell you a story about how someone did them wrong and then you're like, okay, that's kind of messed up. But then as you get to know them better, they always are telling you, yeah, this person did this to me. This person messed up my life here. This person uh, really was mean to me here. And all of a sudden you start to step back and you say, actually, I think the common denominator in all these broken relationships is you. It seems like maybe you might be the common denominator. I work in student ministry where I have boys who have girlfriends every two to three months. And when you ask them about their ex-girlfriend, they say, well, she was just crazy. She just had trust issues. She just couldn't accept this. She was just a little weird. She was too much for me. And after about the sixth time, I want to say, buddy, I, I think the problem is you in the relationship, not the women. And so it, it's hard for, to, to be around those people first off, but it's hard for those people to acknowledge that they have some fault in the struggles in their life, that their sin plays a part just as much as other people's sin in the struggles and hurts they have in their life. But if we want to have repentance and confession a part of our life, we have to acknowledge that we have some of the guilt, some of the shame for where our life is, for the struggles we deal with. Um, I found this common trend that if you are or you know someone who is like that, right? Someone that's, uh, you know, can never really admit that they're the problem. They are the ones who will never receive breakthrough from God. It will never make progress in their life. Why? Because you can't truly make progress in your life and God won't truly break through in your life if you see everyone else in your life as the problem and not you. And I'm not saying there aren't times when people are the problem, but I'm saying not, it's not every time. 
There's sometimes the problems in your life that stem from mistakes you've made, things you've done wrong, things I've done wrong. And we have to acknowledge those things, acknowledge that we have messed up. So H is be honest, A is acknowledge, C is confess fully. Psalm 32, 5a says this, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and forgave the, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Uh, we have a tendency and I have a tendency to follow God half-heartedly, to kind of only want to put one foot in the pool and one foot in the world pool and kind of just have best of both worlds, have our cake and eat it too. Uh, there's a trend of confessing to God and confessing fully. So here's what it looks like. You may be wondering, what does it mean to confess fully, Preston? Well, it means when we come to God with something we've done wrong, we say, God, uh, I'm, I know that I, me flipping off that person in traffic was wrong, right? That was wrong. But when we confess fully, we not only confess to what we did wrong, but we confess to why we did those wrong things, the motives behind those wrong things. There've been plenty of times where I've come to God and said, I'm sorry that I was angry or I'm sorry that I was dealing with this and I didn't respond in love, but I never confessed God. The reason why I didn't respond in love, the reason why I was so angry is because, you know, I've been dealing with some insecurities and I've been dealing with some stress and I've been worried about this and you know, that's led to me having a short temper and a short fuse with people around me. And I just don't see them as people um, to give grace to, right? There's motives behind everything we do and, and everything we think throughout our, our daily lives. And God wants you to confess not only what you did, but why you did it and the reasoning behind why you did it. And, and so I think some of the greatest prayers I've ever had in my life were the times when I came to God and I was fully honest with them. I didn't come to prayer and say, God, you know, I'm just a little disappointed that, you know, I'm still struggling financially. You know, I'm trying to trust you. I'm trying to trust you, but, you know, I'm just a little disappointed when inside my heart, if I was honest, I, I was feeling rage. I was feeling angry at God. I was feeling like impatient, like, God, would you hurry up and get me a new job so I can have more money and I don't have to worry about living paycheck to paycheck. The funny thing is God already knows what you think and what you feel and what you do every second of every day. So confessing it isn't bringing to light anything he doesn't know. It's just a matter of acknowledging before God, hey, I've messed up. Hey, I've messed up not only what I did, but what I felt and what I thought. Whatever you think in the dark and whatever you do in the dark when no one's around, God is there to see and God is there to know. And so when we come to him in prayer and confess, why is it sometimes we act like we don't want to tell him the full story? He knows the full story anyway. So why not go ahead and confess and say, God, yeah, I am a little angry at you right now. I'm tired of living paycheck to paycheck. God, I'm tired of COVID-19. I'm tired of being able not to go see my family because I have to worry about restrictions and all this stuff going on in our world. He already knows how you feel. Confess fully to him. So the fourth point is K. It stands for keep God first. This is what David says in Psalm 6, or 32, 6 through 7. He says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you, and at a time when you may be found, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are hiding place for me, God. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Just as Adam and Eve in the garden tried to hide from God when they ascend, we and cover themselves with you know, uh, animal skin so that God couldn't find them. They tried to cover their nakedness and hide from God, so do we typically try to cover our sins with self-righteous acts. It's why I've told you guys before that I think one of the, the things that makes me so angry at times is that Christianity in America has been so watered down that we sit back and we think what it means to be a Christian is just go to church and just have some good morals, and that's what it means to be a Christian. When Jesus would say, that's not even close to what it means to be a Christian. That's only a small percentage of the pie. 
But we try to cover our sins instead of confessing them to God. What we do instead is we say, instead of confessing and going through that mess with God, I'll just do self-righteous acts instead to cover it up. And we try to cover up our sins not only to God, but we try to cover up our sins to others as well, don't we? We don't want people to think our marriage is on the rocks and we're about to get divorced. So we come to church with our husband and we smile and pray with them and love and, and have a good time so people don't think we're about to get a divorce. I go to my son's baseball game so that, and, and Instagram it and show how proud I am of him so people don't think that I have a short temper with him at home. Right? What about, even for some of you, well, I've been addicted, I'm, I'm an alcoholic, I've been addicted to drinking. Instead of letting people know, I'll come and serve at church so people think I have my life all together. So we substitute what God has called us to do, confession, with covering those sins with self-righteous acts. But keeping God first is ultimately how we're going to repent. We have to keep him first in our life. We have to keep him first in our heart and understand that repentance doesn't start with looking at our sin. Repentance starts with looking at God first and knowing how good he is. Which leads me to the last final point of hacks, which is S, and it stands for seize hope. Psalm 32, 11 says this, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Even when you fall, even when you turn around on your journey and, and turn away from bad things and turn towards God and repent, even when you do that, you're going to fall again. There'll be a tendency to look back at times and think about that old life and think, man, that was so good. I had so much fun. Um, but there'll be times you'll fail. There'll be times you don't confess. There'll be times you mess up. But seize hope. Know that God is faithful, that God is loving, that even like the prodigal son, as you run away from home, God is begging, please come back, please come back. I want you to come back towards me. The verse that changed my life when it came to how I saw repentance is found in Romans 2, 4. The apostle Paul says this, he says, for do you not know it was God's kindness that is meant to lead you to repentance? See, oftentimes what happens is we will repent of our sins and turn towards God, but we're doing that turn out of a fear of if I don't turn away from these things and turn towards God, he's gonna stop loving me or he's gonna send me to hell instead of take me to heaven, right? The reason why we repent, the reason why we turn away from our old life and look towards God is because we're scared, because we're fearful. When Paul makes it clear, the reason you should be turning from your old sins and turning towards God is because you remember how kind and loving and gracious he's been to you. And that's something I try to model in my life when I've messed up, when I confess to God and I wanna turn from my sins, I have to remind myself, I wanna turn from my sins, not because I'm scared God's gonna strike me down, but because God loves me. He sent Jesus for me, he died for me. And someone like that deserves for me to pursue him, to follow him instead of other people and other things. Take for example, my wife. When I make a mistake in my relationship with my wife, when I mess up, when I say something hurtful and it breaks our relationship, and there's strife and we're sitting in awkward silence at the dinner table, right? I don't fix the relationship simply because I'm scared she's gonna divorce me. No, I know she's gonna be faithful to me. I fix the relationship, I fix that issue and I apologize, why? Because I love her, because she loves me, because she's shown me that she cares for me, that she supports me, that she's there for me, that she'll always be there for me. And I wanna be and love my wife because she loves me. In the same way with Jesus, we should want to repent from our sins, not because we're scared he's going to leave us, but because we know how good and kind he's been to us. And we want to be with that person instead of the things we pursue. And so you may be thinking, Preston, you know, why does this matter? What, you've talked about, okay, H-A-C-K-S, this little HACKS acronym about how we repent, these five steps. But why does it matter? Like, what does this have to do with my life? It sounds good, but is it really even going to make a difference in my life? I have two real benefits as to why we should repent. 
And the first one is this, uh, repenting and confessing provides health benefits, simply. And I'll show you why. If you read Psalm 32 and you hear about David saying, my bones ache, I can't sleep at night, I'm living with stress because I haven't confessed my sins to you, God. Is that you? Do you feel that way today? Well, here's what I always find funny as a pastor. I love studying science. I love studying culture. I love studying secular research. And why do I, I love it because one, it's informative, but two, it also shocks me how much science catches up to the Bible. How much I find that science is finally catching up to things the Bible has been saying for thousands of years. Let me show you an example. In a recent NPR interview, interview a neuroscientist by the name of Dave Eagleman said this about his research on what keeping secrets does to the brain. It's a long quote and I'll explain it after I'm done. This is what it says. David Eagleman said, you have competing populations in the brain. One part that wants to tell something and one part that doesn't. There is a real psychological battle going on in the brain. So keeping certain behaviors secret, especially behaviors that are seen or understood to be quote wrong, means continual struggle with yourself. The internal dissonance and lack of sense of personal integrity is draining. The struggle involved in keeping a secret is stressful. This means that your brain will register the fact that there are increased levels of stress hormones going through your bloodstream as a result of this struggle. Your brain does not enjoy the stress. Those living duplicitous lives live with the stress of keeping a whole section of their life secret from people they see every day and care about. The fact that their brains are marinated in stress hormones due to keeping secrets can cause an impairment in the person's ability to stay healthy and function well. David Eagleman is basically saying, what happens when you try to keep secrets from your life? Your, one part of your brain says, tell it to people. The other part says, don't tell it to people. It's a secret for a reason. And when that, that battle goes on in your brain, it releases stress hormones into your bloodstream and causes you to have physical and health uh, decline. Basically, your body starts declining when those stress hormones go into your bloodstream. AKA, when you keep secrets, your physical health goes down. And that's what the Bible's been saying. We saw that just now in Psalm 32. When David was keeping secrets, he couldn't sleep at night. He had aching bones. He had increased stress levels. He was sweating. He was worried all the time. He had high level anxiety. So here's, the, that's the negative part of it, but here's why confession is so beneficial for your health. Uh, James Pennebaker, who is a professor at the University of Texas in Austin, Texas, uh, did a research to see what the health benefits would be if people confessed. And here's what his research found through his, his trial with um, people. It said, he used EEG measurements and blood tests to see what the act of confession would do to physically a person uh, to improve it. He would have the participants do one of two things. They could either confess out loud secrets they've been holding, or they could write down those secrets and then pass it and then explain it to the person next to them. Um, but what his research found is that whether a person confessed out loud their secrets or whether they wrote down their secret and shared it later, this is what happened to their health. He said, it improved relationships with depth and intimacy. They had better sleep patterns and they had an improved immune system. That means basically guys, when you confess and you don't live with secrets in your life, you're gonna sleep better at night you're gonna have a better immune system. The relationships with people in your life are gonna be deeper. They're gonna be more fulfilling. They're gonna be uh, more freeing for you. You won't have shallow relationships. They're gonna be more intimate. So there is health benefits to confession. There is health benefits to repentance. We've seen that through science. These people are not Christians. These, this is not David telling us this. 
This are scientists who have just now recently found out that, hey, confessing your sins and not living with secrets is actually good for your health. But what we look at 2,000 years later in Psalm 32 is David was already saying that. Science is just now catching up. So people who say science and the Bible can never coexist, there's your proof right there. So that's the first benefit, right? If you confess, if you repent, your health will improve. Simply put, science backs it up. But the second thing, what's the biggest health or what's the biggest benefit of you confessing and repenting? It's that it removes darkness from your life. Um, in the study of Psalm 32 that we just went through, do you feel yourself in David's place right now? In that place where you just feel like you can't sleep, you feel high anxiety all the time, you feel stress. Do you feel that right now in your life? Are you there? Is that you today? See, when we repent of our sins, we bring the things that are growing in the darkness out to the light so they can die. There are certain things that can only grow in the dark when they're kept secret. I'm not talking just about in an analogy with our sins, but I'm talking about, you know, with, the, um, with things that live, plants, things. Some things only grow in the dark, but when you bring it out to the light, they die. The same way with your sin. If you leave them in secret, they'll continue to grow. But sometimes the best way to get rid of them in your life is to confess and bring them to the light so that they can die and wither away. Uh, and some of you are looking at me today and you're saying, Preston, I don't need to confess my sins to God. I don't need to confess my sins to other people. I'll just go handle it. So if I have this addiction, I'll just go home in private and I'll deal with it and I'll get over it. And then when it's gone, I'll never have to confess about it because I've handled it on my own. <laughs> Here's what I got to tell you. Uh, and I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news this morning, but you will never win the victory over your sin on your own power or the win the victory over your struggles on your own power. You may be saying, Preston, I've got, I can get this porn addiction under control. I can get this alcohol and drug addiction under control. I'll handle it. And I, I hate to tell you, buddy, I'm looking at you today and I'm saying, you've been saying that for 20 years. You've been saying for 20 years you're going to get it under control and you haven't. It's time for you to stop trying to handle it on your own and let God handle it. But in order for those things to die, unfortunately, the first step is you got to bring it to light. You got to confess it to God. And honestly, you got to find someone you trust to confess it to them, as awkward as it may be. You may be thinking, Preston, the, the price of me confessing my sins to other people today is high. It's a high price. I may lose my marriage if I tell my wife. I may lose my job if I tell my employer. I may lose friends that have been friends of mine for 20 years if I tell them. It's a high price to confess. I hate to tell you, you're already paying a high price now. You're living with stress. You're living with anxiety. You're living with sin in your life that is killing you. You're already paying a high price now, keeping it secret. Why not pay the high price, bringing it to the light so it can finally die? And have someone next to you who will be there for you, who will, who will listen to you confess these sins and will not judge you, but will be there to pray with you, be there to love you and help you through them. And if you're saying, I don't have that person today, Preston, well then reach out to one of the pastors here at Forest Park. We'd love to be that person for you. But there's a price to not confessing our sins. And we have to understand that those secrets will never die. Those, those struggles will never die. Those sins will never die until we confess them, until we bring them to the light so they can. Here's what I know as we end. There is nothing, and I mean nothing, in life more peaceful than living with no secrets. Like as a pastor, imagine having no secrets. I'll use me for example. Having no secrets. Someone in the congregation coming up to me on Sunday morning saying, Preston, guess what I found out about you? And having the attitude of what? No fear, no anxiety, no, uh-oh, what do they know? No, when you live with no secrets, you don't have that fear. You don't have that stress. You don't have that anxiety. 
You live a free life. You live a full life. You live a peaceful life. So many of you and so many, and me included, want a peaceful life, but what if I told you the key to a peaceful life is not living with secrets, confessing them, repenting of them, turning towards God instead? I said in my last message, I'll say it again as we end today in this one, my prayer for you, my prayer for me in 2021 is that we become tired and weary, that God would make us tired and weary, that, uh, and it sounds so mean to say, I understand it sounds like a mean prayer, but my prayer is that we grow tired and weary. Why? Because when, it's not until often we hit rock bottom that we finally turn to God and say, God, I'll do it your way now. My prayer is that before you hit rock bottom, you grow tired and weary and turn to God now. And you confess your sins now and repent of your sins now. Because here's what I know what the Bible says. You can either bring your sins to light and your, your struggles to light on your own right now. Or if you choose not to, God will bring them to light on his own power. And it's not going to be as pretty if God does it. So why not you do it? Why not you bring and confess your sins and repent of them today before God and before others? And like I said, if you don't have someone in your life you trust that much to confess about their sins, find one of the pastors. Go on our website at fplive.org and find Scott or my email or Lana's email and email us and tell us. We'd love to talk to you. But my prayer is that we grow tired and weary to the point where we are tired of living with secrets. And we're ready to confess and repent of those so that God can heal us and make us better. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your mercy. I pray for everyone, God, including myself, that we would not live with secrets, that we would see confession and repentance as not something we just do one time in our life, but something that we have to do all the time, God, that it would be uh, something that we do when we have struggles. We don't try to keep our secrets in the dark, but we are willing to bring them to the light before you and before others so that they can die. So our addictions, our wrong attitudes, our wrong mindsets, the way we treat people, that all those bad things in our life would die and wither away and we would grow new fruit. We would grow good, good fruit from our lives that look like your fruit of the Spirit. I pray for everyone watching today that you would bless them in 2021. I pray you would grow them tired and weary of trying to do life on their own and that they would turn to you as their strength, turn to you as the one who can do all things in their life and that you would fill them with peace when they come out with their secrets. God, I pray this in your name. Would you bless us as we go and continue to use us for great and mighty things. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.